watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and we have six movies for you today. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, Nomadland, Minari, The United States versus Billie Holiday, I Care A Lot, and Supernova. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... The pandemic is too short for that mess and getting shorter every day. That's true. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, I guess we're probably coming up on... Well, as we tape this, it's March 10th, and I'm sure that our last in-person show was probably last year around this time. Yeah. Can you believe wild, it? Wild, 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 wild. I mean, I, I part of me almost wants to go back and, like, re-listen to hear kind of, like, how we sounded the first time we did tape remotely. <laughs> and, like, no. what we were saying, like, oh, this thing might be over in a few weeks or something. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably won't go back and listen, though. Absolutely I don't not. Know. No, no. Um, but point being, it's a year later, and things are generally looking up. Uh, Rebecca, are you feeling uh, hopeful about the, the direction things are moving in? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I feel like I um, haven't really been following the news, but I did see some some bit of news yesterday about like all of Alaska. Everyone over sixteen is is um, has the availability to get the vaccine. So, you know, so goes Alaska, <laughs> as as goes Alaska. So, so goes Hawaii or something. <laughs> Eventually, it'll get mainland. <laughs> You know, they're always just like lording it over we contiguous people. They're just, <laughs> they're just like, let them fight out amongst themselves. We're going to enjoy our, our isolation and our self-care. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, How about it's you? true. You know, I am cautiously optimistic and I, I did something the other day that I have not done in a year, uh, probably oh over a year. Um, <laughs> and it felt really good. Oh so, so get ready. I bought a concert ticket. Oh, I couldn't really. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think I was going to say? No, it was great. It felt it felt wonderful. Um, I uh, to see Arlo Parks at uh, at the Echoplex here in L.A. in October. Oh, okay. That seems like that seems reasonable. Yeah, LA I seems think like they're so. opening up crazy early anyway. So, <laughs> well, you know, we are not official. We have not officially moved into the red tier yet. But that that is uh, that is uh, I'm told around the corner. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I just like saw something on some music blog. They're like, oh, Arlo Parks playing New York and L.A. club shows in October. And I'm like, I bet I could go to that. I'm thinking just like even if like worst case scenario, like things get worse and they cancel a concert. Big fucking deal. I get refunded. I had that happen for like 10 different concerts like in the first few months of this thing. I just just to have the experience like the everyday normal before times experience of reading about a concert, looking up tickets, seeing that they're available, buying one and adding it to my Apple wallet. Oh, it just brought me back to life. It was wow. It was, it was glorious. It was really glorious. We're having such different experiences. <laughs> 
I, uh, I, of course, you know, want, want there to be uh, a healthy and safe environment out there. And I do not want to get sick and I don't want everyone else to get sick, but I also do not want to leave my house ever again. <laughs> and now I don't want people to expect me to just because the pandemic is over. I like this new standard we've set, the expectation mm. that no one's going anywhere ever. I see. I see. So yeah. So you're you're really leaning into to to the hermitness of it all. I th- I just realized how how strongly I feel this way hearing your story and and um, getting feeling a little anxious in response. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I won't I won't pretend that I don't also feel anxiety about. The idea, the idea of doing a lot of social things, like even, even today, even just now, like we're, we're doing this on a Wednesday night instead of on a weekend. And I had to like really psych myself up that I was going to be changing my nightly routine to do this. Um, because right, normally, right. you know, I work until around like seven o'clock at night and then I like do yoga and shower and then I have dinner and watch Rachel Maddow with Scott. And then I just like, have wine and watch TV until it's time to go to bed. And I have come to be very nurtured by that. Um, So, you know, like it definitely, I'm scared and intimidated by the thought of like losing that most nights. I'll definitely have to warm up to get there. So I think just buying one concert ticket, that's like seven months away. I was like, okay, I can do that. I can Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, seven months. We'll reconvene. (laughs) We'll ask this question again then. Yes. Yes. Sounds good. Uh, no, I, I, I get it though. And especially also you and I both having relatively recently purchased homes, uh, you know, you're, there's also nesting, you know, you're still, you're still nesting. You're like, why would I leave? I just bought a house. Like that is you know, my money's worth. <laughs> Gotta get your money's worth. Gotta get your mortgages worth. No, I, I, I get that. I get that. I mean, the, the only downside has been that I don't have any excuse not to see these movies. All six of them that we have this week. And yet it did take you a while. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was nesting in the room without a TV. <laughs> it's a rumpus room. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that is a TV. Oh, that's the rumpus. That's the rumpus. Yeah. Speaking of a rumpus room, should we get to our first movie, which I feel like is has it, rumpus vibes? It is. A, it is. It is rumpus cinema all the way. Our first movie this week, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Lifelong friends Barb and Star embark on the adventure of a lifetime when they decide to leave their small Midwestern town for the first time ever. Binge it. Moving on. Wow. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) I don't have much to say about this movie other than that it's just a a goddamn delight. Ah. Oh, no. We're starting off on this foot this week, huh? Oh, no. I mean, if you have the gall to come in to pan this after loving Eurovision. I thought I thought about Eurovision in that, huh, this isn't Eurovision. Oh, you monster. Oh, my God. Well, okay, I guess let's get into it. I mean, I wanted to love it. I, I, I will say, I think from the get-go, actually from the Golden Globes, uh, because Barb and Star were presenters on the Golden Globes, I believe, right? They were. I the I found the accent immediately very off-putting. 
<laughs> Are you going to accuse him of Midwestern appropriation? Of course. <laughs> How? Twenty twenty one. You're like, I need to stop adding my notes to our shared doc. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, not an appropriation. It's just like, it, it was, it was off. It felt like a bad Midwestern accent. Um, I, there was too much of like a replacement of an R with an L that felt like it was just someone trying to do an accent that they can't. It wasn't like, you know, Francis McDormand's Fargo accident, accent, also accident. (laughs) Um, that would have been solid, but I, there, it was too, too, too fake. It upset me the whole time. Wow, interesting. See, to me, the fakeness is kind of the point of the characters because they're not actually meant to be like recognizable humans from a real place. I feel like they're just they're such like over the top super caricatures that I think you know the accent is not meant to really be like identifiable to any one location. It's just like this general caricature of a Midwestern accent, as as are the characters themselves. Yeah, but it it just especially the um, especially Annie Momolo's accent. It was just. I don't know. It was hard to listen to. Barb and Star. Yeah. No. And you never, I mean, d- d- dropped it gorgeous. Did that also bug you? Or no, that was perfect. <laughs> you were good with the accent work in that movie. Oh, a hundred percent. That was, that was completely on point. Kristen Dunst nailed it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Alice and Janet get, where was she? <laughs> where was just called the oh. expert? So, so basically, so, so throughout this movie, every time they spoke, your, your, your rage came back and you were just like, I just don't like this. I just don't like this. <laughs> like you couldn't get past, given that so much of the humor comes from the characterizations and the characterizations you found to be upsetting. Uh, it, no, you you that, could I mean, not get into the humor of it. No, it, the accent was, was one persistent part, but uh, I could have definitely, I could have gotten over it. I, and I think there were, there are very, very funny parts of this movie. There are definitely some laugh out loud. And I feel like that's the, the, the best parts of this movie are the sort of like incidental things that happen in the background, the piano player at the bar, mm-hmm. uh, the bartender, the, the, the crab, you know, uh, uh, seagulls on a tire, but <laughs> the trash. Movie, Oh, I mean, bless us, Come. Trish, <laughs> queen of the sea. <laughs> Have you seen the video of Reba trying to describe her character during like, no. a restaurant kit? No. She's like, well, she is she is sort of a, a, a sea witch and also kind of an idea. Uh, <laughs> and also kind of just like a party girl, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, now I have to see it. But maybe I don't want to. I like I like your version. She, she's like, hey, well, and her name is Trish, so that is who I play. <laughs> uh, Jamie Dornan was adorable and hilarious. Um, oh. Kristen Wiig is the alter character. Yo yo, all everything around. It's just the the main characters kind of. I, I found a little grating. I feel like I'm going to see you maybe not so subtly paying homage to Jamie Dornan's wardrobe next time we're on vacation together. <laughs> I was thinking, do I need to go longer shorts? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, he is pulling it off. Maybe, maybe that's my look now. You're like, do we have it? <laughs> Call me by your name to right. Barbara Star. You're just like, you're like, you're like, do I have his legs? Oh, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, he is, he is uh, certainly one of the, the breakout delights of the film, mainly because nobody could have anticipated this performance coming from him. (laughs) (laughs) It's just perfect. He's perfect. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with all the good things you're saying and disagree <laughs> with the bad things. So to right, me, it's all it <laughs> to me, it's all great. Uh, I think Chris and Wig and Annie Mumolo are both so funny throughout this. I think they wrote such a great screenplay. Uh, I'm sure that, of course, like as they were making it, they were just like coming up with new things all the time and just making it funnier and funnier and funnier. You know, I was a little nervous about this just because, you know, Bridesmaids so far had been the only film that they had written together and they are produced screenplay that they had written together. Uh, They also technically wrote the screenplay that became David O. Russell's Joy. Um, But he took that and did a lot of things to it that were very hurtful to them. Um, So as he's wont to do. And so they made Bridesmaids with Paul Feig. Uh, who, of course, is like a master comedy director. So I was like, oh, no, what if they like this is like they're, they're finally they're making another comedy that they've written themselves and it's going to be bad and that's going to be sad. Um, so and so but watching this, I was just I, I could not have loved it more. It's it's like it's going to be probably. Yeah, I mean, without question, one of my favorite comedies of the year. Wow. Huh. Well, I mean, you just started. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, no matter what happens, it's going to be up there. It's going to be up there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a delight, and I will return to it again and again. I just, I wish there were, there were so many of the, um, uh, so many of the, so many small parts of the cast that I wish would have had more time. Uh, specifically, I want to see a, a break-off movie from The Talking Club with <laughs> uh, Vanessa Bayer. That's right. <laughs> Fortune Feinster, Phyllis right. from... The office mm-hmm. and and uh, the mechanic from Gilmore Girls, <laughs> and uh, and also the one who was late. <laughs> and Gail, it, it, it started at seven. Gail, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Vanessa Bayer, mm-hmm. my Totino. Oh my goodness, my goodness. I I don't know if it was that movie that. Oh, I think we saw her promoting Barb and Star on Andy Cohen's show. And it just sent me down to Vanessa Bayer YouTube hole. Uh, and just rewatching probably two main SNL uh, characters of hers. One is the uh, the old Hollywood film set uh, uh, sketch she did with The Rock, where she played the actress who just starts farting uncontrollably. <laughs> of course. And she was like, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> did, did the sound man hear my mistake? <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, and then the, the, <laughs> the weather girl from the very end, hap, uh, where she just was like, and she's and then the real warm and the sunnies and then they, then they go different your day. <laughs> and that's the hap. Um, I mean, uh, God, she's a genius. Uh, even winning Clinton Covey also in this, yes. uh, you know, closest thing they came to a full on bridesmaids reunion was, uh, was bringing her on. So, uh, but yeah, so in general, I love this movie. Um, I have no notes. It's a binge it for me. Right. It's a consumer moderation for me. All right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I started with this. I was like, oh, it'll be so easy to get started with this movie that we clearly will both love. Oh, uh, this not, week might be, <laughs> be confusing for us. Uh, we had been agreeing too much anyway. So <laughs> I would rather watch Eurovision any day over this. And it's available to run on Apple and Amazon, and it's rated R. Movie number two. You take like a reality show producer's approach to this show. You're just like, oh, no, no, conflict. Got to create some. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Movie number two is Nomadland. After losing everything in the Great Recession, 
a woman in her 60s embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. We've watched these movies. Did you watch this? Tell me, did you watch it somewhere special, Jason? Ding. I Mm. did. This was one of the movies that I watched uh, at TIFF Online last year. Um, And I, I, I believe that I probably... In, in our, I guess, now fully lost end of year episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's gone. Oh, yeah, update, it. it's gone. God damn it. Well, I guess I'll stop checking SoundCloud each day to see if it's been added. Don't you get an uh, alert? <laughs> I mean, some, I don't always. So uh, so sometimes I just got to check myself. But um, but yeah, Nomadland, I, I believe I had probably named as my number one movie of the year last year. Um, so I, I do think it, it, it is, uh, that, so spoiler, once again, I'm, I'm showing my cards right off the top, uh, for the, these first two reviews, binge it, best movie of the year, Rebecca, over to you. Woman will shit in a bucket before going to therapy. Consumer <laughs> moderation. So, <laughs> so once, so once again, you found yourself relating too much to a character. <laughs> uh, so this is a, well, your pick of the year, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about um, the, the best actress, Frances McDormand? Would you mean about how she hasn't won or? Being nominated. Oh, being nominated. Well, of course she should be nominated. Uh, this is, <clears throat> this is and, and the funny thing is, I'll say this. This might be the best she's ever been. With that said, I have not voted for her at all, just oh. because, just because I she just won, she just won mm-hmm. uh, for three billboards, and mm-hmm. that so was stellar. I, yes, and uh, so I, I am not, and I feel like she does not want, like she doesn't really care. So I don't know that she she's not out there just like you better nominate me again because I love the watch shows, you know. Like I think that she <laughs> she does not care. Um, so I think she'd be happy to, to spread the love around. So I have not been pushing for her for best actress at all. With that said, she's the best actress. Um, and this is, this is one of, you know, one of her best, if not possibly her very best performance, I think. Um, I mean, cause she just, she, she brings the character to life with so much soul and depth and texture and with relatively little in the way of, of dialogue. You know, like uh, she's she's not a real chatterbox in this, you know, um, you know, we're 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 really kind of just walking through these 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 tableaus with her and just kind of seeing things through her eyes and, and just sort of watching her on this kind of meandering journey. Um, so so it's 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 you know, she doesn't have the usual tools that an actress has to bring a character together. Uh, you know, there's not like she just kind of looks like herself. She has her regular Francis McDormand hair. Um, you know, she has just really average, normal clothes. She doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And yet I feel like it's such a rich character, uh, with layers and, and yeah, I just found it to be, to be wonderful all around. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about the, her being nominated for best actress and, and the, the praise for this movie. And, and then watching it, I was thinking, I mean, so much of the heavy lifting goes to these people around her who I I don't believe are professional actors. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And and so maybe that is where the credit goes in, in being able to lift everything around you and have a bunch of um, n- not professionals 
you know, uh, be able to to create a veneer over everything that is that feels cinematic. Is is that something that 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 she brought to the table? Because it felt, I mean, it felt like everyone is acting around her, you know. Well, I mean, I don't know that there really was a lot of acting going on. I think a lot of the non-actors in the film were kind of playing themselves. Oh. Uh, so, you know, like the movie is almost like a pseudo documentary in a way. Uh, you know, like a, like a lot of these a lot of these folks sort of are, are really kind of playing themselves. Uh, so, you know, this really wasn't like a traditional scripted movie in that way. Mm. Um, so and uh, so, I mean, David Strathairn. Good old mm-hmm. Silver Fox, uh, the only <laughs> the only real other professional actor in the movie, and uh, and everyone else is kind of more of a sort of a verisimilitude type thing. So, uh, so is all this leading to you saying that you did not actually like this movie? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I did, I did. It is, it's a a beautiful movie, and it and it is so unique and. It says a it says a lot with a little. I do, I did. Okay, that's all. <laughs> uh, and yet, it feels like you want to poke some holes in it. I, I guess I was just felt a little lacking. I, I felt like, to me, there's this scene where she goes and, and uh, visits her sister uh, under the the premise of borrowing money, but then spends some time. And and that movie gives a little background to her character and and kind of how she sees the world and how she interacts with the world, and and I feel like the the weakness of the movie is that if that one scene had not existed, this movie would have felt incredibly flat, like three day old soda. And but but at the same time, that that scene is there, and it and it I guess made that soda turn into a, a root beer float. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, as, as always, analogies are your strong suit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, listen, tell it to me in soda. Uh, <laughs> are we talking to Dr. Pepper or are we talking about it? <laughs> it's a more, of a, more of a Mr. Pibb. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the funny thing is, I don't even remember the scene you're talking about. Uh, so clearly that scene did not make much of an impression on me. Um, and I'm thinking of like all the other scenes in the movie that were registered as somewhat flat to you, but to me were very emotional, very impactful, um, kind of profound. Like, I feel like this is a movie that you just kind of experience and get lost in. Um, and you know, like it's, you know, it might be, is it, is it the, the malachiness that's turning you off <laughs> to go back to one of her old descriptors? It's the pro Amazon angle of this movie. <laughs> Yes, there has been an attempt uh, on the part of film Twitter to come for this movie. And the fact that it depicts Amazon employer uh, being employed in Amazon in a matter of fact way uh, and does not at any point show employees being dragged out and shot. Uh, so, <laughs> so everyone's very angry that the movie does not take, take this opportunity to uh, depict Amazon as being, you know, inherently woefully exploitative of all of its laborers at every location. Uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it was actually really fascinating to see that glimpse into kind of a person who would be working as, you know, in like an Amazon shipping mm-hmm. facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a glimpse I, I feel like I hadn't really seen before. Um, and we see how, I mean, we know of course from the setup of, of this film and of, of her character 
that, you know, she obviously has been failed by the economy, you know, and that she is now kind of out there riding the rails, if you will, um, because she has nothing. And so, but she is, is, is finding her own joy in living this way. And, you know, and, and it's sort of fundamentally driven by gig economy type jobs or just contract things like going and working in Amazon shipping uh, warehouse for a couple of weeks and making the money from that and then just going and hitting the road again. Like I found it. Yeah, like it was it was really sort of illuminating for me to see the way that um, somebody like her character would interface with like working at an Amazon warehouse. Like it was. Yeah. So at no point was I just like. But they're not spitting in her face, you know. Like, you know? <laughs> so I yeah. just filmed Twitter going to Twitter. No, I agree. I, th- I thought that was um, a really interesting takeaway. I, I think I, I, you know, you see the the branding, and it's very clear. And I was like suddenly confused about like, is this like an Amazon movie? What what you know? <laughs> why is why is it everything so? Why is it so obvious and so big? And they're talking about it so much. But I think it kind of just matter of factly shows someone who wants to have more of a dependable living but also this does play a useful part at this time of year and, and provide what she ne- provides what she needs at the moment but also saying that like there is a whole community of people and they all live in in this like amazon camping lot right it, it, fe- right. it felt very it felt very um I, you, I feel like you wouldn't get that point of view without it coming at you with some sort of uh, angle one way or another right. or another way right you know, I mean, not everything has to have a value judgment attached to it. And Except although I think, podcast. <laughs> although, I mean, frankly, like if you if you dig too much, you know, into the folks that, you know, are working there in the movie and just through her as an example, and we see the way that the year that the that they're living and everything, it's not exactly holding up Amazon is this idea of like something that pays you a full living wage so you can go and live like a fully functional life in the suburbs or something. Right. Um, so it's far from, uh, you know, it's far from uh, propaganda that's like trying to make Amazon look like the most responsible employer of anything. It's showing that Amazon is sort of capitalizing on, uh, on folks who are still uh, finding their place in, you know, the sort of shattered economy. So, uh, so yeah, so that's a, a silly argument and I don't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, I'm giving no, I mean, it a budget. Oh, well, that's nice. I am giving it a consume plus, uh, no, it's, it's a budget for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> trying to curry your favor and you're selling me out. Um, <laughs> I, you're like last time I do it. I, I think that the mix of of uh, documentary and, and scripted film and this sort of approach with Amazon and, and uh, left me feeling unsettled throughout the whole movie. And I and I looking back, thinking about it again now, I I think that is that was a benefit. And mm. I definitely parts of the movie resonated in a way I didn't think would. You know, this is part where she's going to visit her husband's old work and uh like all i could think about was if if i passed and 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 my partner or spouse went to my work to remember me how mm. i've done something wrong mm. Mm. but um yeah yeah so it's so a this is this is the this is sort of viewed by many as a front runner for both best picture and best director for uh for chloe Zhao. 
uh, how would you feel about this movie winning both of those awards? And if not this movie, what do you think should? Ooh, I haven't thought through that question yet. I would, I think I would understand best director more than best picture. Mm -hmm. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I wanted to get both. Um, but you know, trial of Chicago seven, for example, is another sort of best picture contender. Um, would what, what, what would you pick between those two? Oh, no, Ben land for sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and the next movie we're going to review too, is also a contender actually. So we this can, we can just the, move on to that. <laughs> yeah. This is the other one that I was considering thinking about best picture. Um, but Nomadland land is on Hulu streaming and rated R. Sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> Our third movie of this week is Minari. A Korean-American family moves to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. Amidst the challenges of this new life in the strange and rugged Ozarks, they discover the undeniable resilience of family and what really makes a home. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Binge it. <laughs> and I'm Binge done. It. And spent. Fully spent. Moving on. What's next? I care a lot. Uh, <laughs> because I think I think I care a lot about this movie. Oh. <laughs> and you do too. Uh, yeah, what a what a lovely, lovely, lovely film this is. This movie was like having a bird land on your hand and just being terrified the whole time that something's gonna happen to it, but also just so in awe of its beauty. So as usual, you were just feeling deep fear. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I love bird. What can I say? <laughs> yes. So Minari, uh, it is written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, and I also, I happened to just watch this again last night uh, with Scott. I previously had watched it not long after we got to the house. I had some sort of like screening link for it. And the thing that was funny about watching this film in the early days of being in this house is how it hit way too close to home <laughs> um, in the sense that basically I related too much to Stephen Young's character. Um, and Scott was very much Yeri Han, the wife, uh, who was just looking around at the house that I just that we just moved into being like, why did we do this? Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, so the early, the early parts of the movie, and then, and then, sure enough, when we were watching it last night, Scott was like, "I relate to her," uh, <laughs> mainly because they, when they are showing just like some little montage of her, just sort of like ripping out like old wallpaper and just kind of like getting rid of all the old junk that was in the house when they got there. Scott was like, "Yeah, yeah, get that, get rid of that stupid old shit, get that, get the fuck out of that fucking house." Uh, so yeah, so I, so that was. That was the way that this universal story impacted me uh, wow. <laughs> when I first watched it. And uh, and then I was reminded of it last night. But fortunately, we've come a long way since then. So now we can laugh about it. <laughs> if you watched it with me <laughs> when I first watched it, we would not have laughed about it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we have this story of, a, of a, you know, as you mentioned, a Korean family in the 80s moving to Arkansas. Uh, it is very much uh, the father's initiative, Jacob. Uh, he has taken the family from living in more coastal locations along the West Coast, where their money doesn't go as far, 
to um, this sort of cheap plot of land in Arkansas where he's hoping to just sort of, you know, be able to live more comfortably, to spend less and make more through um, making his own uh, produce as a farmer and then finding ways to sell it and support his family. Um, but he might be at times too focused on, uh, on his farming and not focused enough on how his family is coping with this, this move. As they're adjusting her, her mother comes to stay with them. And, and that sort of is the, the secondary angle of the movie is the, the grandmother's interaction with the, the two children and how she tries to help them make like kind of come in and intervene while the, the parents are, are fighting and, and everyone's kind of really feeling out of place and to provide kind of an emotional center for the family and also support while, while they're working. And just, just the, the relationship building and the, and the dynamic of the family was so, so honest and so, um, I, I don't know. I, again, I felt like it was, I, I felt so invested in this family and, 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 and how they were coping and how they were treating each other. And it, it, you have this like where they push up against the, their environment in in rural Arkansas and where they're pushing up against the limitations of income and, and farming. And then you have this like rich story of what's happening within the family at, at this like pivotal age for these children and it was just just so engrossing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh and of course both children are great but one has emerged as a bit of a fan favorite <laughs> <laughs> and that would be young alan kim uh who plays a a sweet young boy uh who just happens to sometimes feed urine to his grandmother uh, but you know, it's, 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 it's a rascally behavior. And, and I didn't even realize when he, he won a uh, critics choice award for like best young performer. And in his speech, he started to cry adorably. And then he started pinching himself and saying like, is this a dream? And at first I just thought mm. it was just in the moment, but then watching the movie again last night and I was like, Oh, he's quoting his own movie. What a little pro. <laughs> <laughs> Because in the film, he is a bedwetter and he tells his mother that it, when he's doing it, he's in his dream, he's in the bathroom. And she tells him, well, whenever you are about to pee, then stop and pinch yourself and ask, is this a dream? And so he was doing a callback and uh, mm-hmm. this kid's got a long career ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> where did they get off casting these people in this film? This all-star cast, th- where where did they find little Alan Kim? It's a great question. It's a great question. I don't know. Heaven? Uh, I think so. My first guess. My first guess. Uh, but you know, it's, it's an incredible cast. Uh, the, uh, the actress who plays the grandmother, I believe her name is, uh, Yo Young Jun. She is apparently the Meryl Streep of South Korea. And, uh, and she is, has been making the vast majority of best supporting actress shortlists for this film. Mm. Uh, and, uh, rightly so, rightly so. Wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what a, I, I I can't I can't I can't with this movie I, I I'm I'm left wordless. It's beautiful. It's um, 
uh, you know, it is it is of the the early '80s um, in a way that is just it's so precious and also so smart and so um, relatable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like I expected it to be more sappy or insincere, and it just it just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not a terribly uh, uh, sentimental movie. You know, it it really comes by its emotional impact, honestly. Uh, like, there's no cheap, easy sentiment in this movie, um, which certainly could have gone that way, given mm. that the emotional center of it is the relationship between an adorable little boy and his sort of like wacky grandma, uh, <laughs> who wears men's underwear. Um, so <laughs> loves pro wrestling. And then the word in the street is that she is not a real grandma. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and, and the movie also gives us lots of great footage of Stephen Yun in a white tank top. So <laughs> uh, there's really not much more you can ask for. Um, no, there is something for everyone in this movie. There is. There is. Uh, Stephen Yun has also been getting a lot of best actor buzz. But frankly, I really think he shouldn't. No, I'm kidding. Uh, frankly, the performance that I that I think should be getting more attention altogether is Yeri Han, who plays his wife. Mm. I feel like th- it is such a such an emotionally resonant performance. Uh, like you know, hers is the character that kind of goes through the most torment in this movie. She's the one who's suffering mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and but she at no point ever comes off one note about it. Like she really does play levels the way that she's responding to things and and trying to mask how sad, how heartbroken she is really and disappointed um, so that she can still, um, you know, try to be supportive for her husband um, and going in day after day at their chicken sexing job, uh, which is a job I did not know existed. I don't know. I don't know about you. No. Whew. Not going to pretend. Uh, no. No. Uh, and for those who haven't seen the film, this is a job that consists quite literally of having crate after crate of young chicks, baby chicks, presented to you. You then pick up each chick, turn it upside down, inspect its genitals. And if it's a boy, you put in one bin. Uh, if it's a girl, you put in another. And the boy bin is taken off to be immolated because apparently nobody wants little boy chickens uh, because they are not any good for anyone. I literally so we, had no idea. That, yeah. is, that that you could get paid for this. I thought that we just did this for fun. For, I know. I know all these years we could be making money. Uh, we were just thought we were getting our kicks. Uh, turns out it's, a, it's practically an OnlyFans job. Uh, so. <laughs> if only I was better at it. Oh, 20 years no. and I'm still not any better. <laughs> still just get closer and closer and closer. <laughs> just just eyeballing that thing. And, uh, <laughs> and then you just get pink eye and, that's, and then it's all over. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, I will also recommend a uh, friend of the show, Ingu Kang, did uh, interview Lee Isaac Chung for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, and uh, they had a great conversation. Uh, Ingu herself is the daughter of Korean immigrant parents, and uh, so she had a lot of personal connection to the story. And uh, and she was asking uh, the director, she was like, did you consider making Jacob more of an asshole? <laughs> um, she's like, because there were times watching when I thought he's being too likable. And she's like, I realized that for many Western audiences, he did not seem likable at all. But for those of us who know, if you know, you know, 
he was actually very cuddly compared to other men of his generation. And he's like, oh, I know, I know. He's like, well, you know, I, I really wanted to, you know, not make him totally irredeemable. Um, he's like, and then there are, are, you know, he's like, I've shown this film to, to Korean women of that generation. And they come back and they say, why did she want to divorce him? He's such a good husband and provider. <laughs> <laughs> and Ingu's like, oh, my God. He's like, yeah. So, <laughs> so I recommend that interview in addition to this movie, which I fully recommend and give a full binge it to. Full binge it on this one. Uh, Minari is available to rent on Apple and Amazon and is rated PG-13. Where are we at now? Movie number four, the United States versus Billy Holiday. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics launches an undercover sting operation against jazz singer Billy Holiday. Oh, some of these set more of a tone than others, huh? <laughs> this one t- assumes that you know a lot. It does. It does. Uh, and Rebecca and I were having a bit of a laugh about this movie before we started the tape. And uh, <laughs> comparing it slightly to the episode of Strange with Candy, where Jerry becomes a singer in the jazz band. Um, and, you know, it's it's not not that episode. Um, but uh, but yeah, so a little bit more background. Um, so so the film uh, is well, <laughs> the film's trying to do a lot of things. But uh, essentially, the, the main narrative about why the FBI was coming after Billie Holiday um, had to do with her um, famous performances of this of the song Strange Fruit, uh, which was written about the lynching of black Americans. Uh, well, predominantly in the Deep South, of course, have been many places, but predominantly in the Deep South. And of course, which continued through the vast majority of the 20th century um, with 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 no um, consequence whatsoever. Um, so. The FBI uh, was very threatened uh, by Billy performing that song because they viewed it as something that was incendiary, rabble-rousing, something that was going to, you know, lead to uh, on, you know, continued acts of black defiance and unrest. And so they just wanted to punish her uh, and do what they could to prevent her from from going around performing this song. Um, they revoked her uh, her cabaret license. Um, which is the thing that I didn't know you could have. And now I want one. I'm like, where's my cabaret license? <laughs> um, and, uh, and she, um, kind of being a bit of a, of a, of a, of a mess just on her own at her best kind of gave them a lot to work with, um, because she was also, uh, you know, uh, throughout her life struggled immensely with substance abuse issues and, and up to and including a, a heroin addiction. And so, they were just kind of looking for whatever they could to, uh, you know, just throw against her to to make her knock it off. And uh, and eventually we reach a storyline involving um, a, a, a black agent uh, from the FBI who played by Trevante Rhodes from Moonlight, uh, who I didn't I did not recognize at first. I just knew that I was like mm, deeply mm-hmm. attracted to him. I was just like, <laughs> whoever that is, I'm deeply attracted to. And then I was like, oh, right. Yes, that tracks. So uh, so he plays a character based on a real life man. Uh, not everything that happens in the movie is based on what actually happened between him and Billy Holiday. But they did indeed use a black agent uh, to try to sort of infiltrate her and her band um, and to then go and inform um, so that they could have material to go and, you know, charge her with. 
Um, so it is directed by Lee Daniels, who has a, a fairly lurid filmography featuring such films as Precious and The Paperboy and uh, created the show Empire. Um, starring uh, the R&B singer Andre Day as Billie Holiday in her first, I, I think she, I don't know if she's acted at all before this, mm. certainly her first lead performance. Uh, and boy, does she give everything she's got to this character. Yeah, I, I think, so what you described uh, about Billie Holiday and the FBI and their motivations and how they try to, to, to get her is all explained to you in the first, what, 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. And then it's just the chase after that. <laughs> the chase. Uh, and uh, so say more about that. What do you mean when you say the chase? It's just the story of the FBI trying to capture her uh, or um, set her up or arrest her again for this song. Um just all the rest of the movie. There is a, some context setting with Leslie Jordan, um, <laughs> who plays uh, an interviewer that's kind of setting up the story. But but all of this is just said uh, at the beginning. And yes, I think the first exposition. time we cut to her is that she's like, I'm going to sing the song. They're like, don't sing the song. And they're like, why? It's like the FBI. <laughs> okay, but give me the drugs. And then it's like, and now we spent two and a half hours <laughs> watching her escape and then not escape. From the drugs and the cops. <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm going to sing a song. Don't sing a song. I'm going to sing a song. Don't sing a song. All right, give me the drugs. That's yeah, a song. That's that. a movie. <laughs> I... literally the first 15 minutes of the movie. No, I know. No, it's true. No, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it's funny and also because I'm relieved. Uh, because, <laughs> because this is a horrible movie. Wow. Um, At some point, yeah. I, and I can't, I'm just going to, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but it sucks because there is such sadness and such depth and such like tragedy, just end to end this, this story and this life and, and this human experience is drenched in. But the way that it is shown in this movie, I didn't expect to laugh that much. <laughs> the sloppy, like, it's like someone just found all their Instagram filters, like, five years ago and it's like we're gonna do this in black and white and like oh we're gonna do this with like the vcr filter <laughs> yeah it, it is it is evil chaotic uh on <laughs> on that spectrum this one falls under under evil chaotic uh it is it is just an unholy mess of a movie i i i can't even begin to understand this movie looks as though Billie Holiday herself edited it. Uh, <laughs> like the Billie that we see in the movie, you just see her just like shambling, like waking up from like, you know, a heroin coma and shambling into the editing room. Just like, what are we doing in here? Uh, just her in front of a computer from like 1949 and just tossing her today. And then she figures out how to use right. iMovie. She's like, oh, where are these dailies? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I shouldn't even, I mean, like, you know, it is, it is that, but it's really much more somebody on meth and somebody on heroin. This is definitely the work of somebody editing on uppers, uh, <laughs> because it is just, it is frenetic. It is slapdash. It is sloppy. It is incoherent. 
It is, it is, doesn't make a lick of sense. Not a lick of sense. <laughs> there's, there's like five characters. They're like two cops. I can't tell them apart. And like, <laughs> we keep it like, we were just like, are they, are the cops on the bus with them? Are these the same? Like they're at every concert. Every time she goes to a show, <laughs> All of the, I was like, this is like me going to watch like Alex Jones come to town, and I'm like in the front row. Like, who does that? What are they doing? He's all dressed up with his wife. What? <laughs> Everybody is in every scene. Yeah, no, it's true. Like the entire the entire posse is in every scene. Um, and and I'll note that like I, I fit, some of the only joy that I got from the movie were from the two actors who play her sort of like glam squad. Oh my god, um, the, the dog funeral is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're played by uh, Devine Joy Randolph uh, from uh, who almost who got a lot of awards buzz for her role in Dolomite Is My Name a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, and then uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Miss Lawrence, who first rose to fame on The Real Housewives of Atlanta uh, and who Lee Daniels has sort of adopted into his stable of actors. Uh, and now kind of puts in everything. And speaking of stable of actors, this kind of comes back to something that I was thinking about while watching it. Um, you know, I feel like Lee Daniels is in many ways sort of like the black answer to Ryan Murphy. Um, mm. You know, right, right down to having like from, and these are both gay creators. These are both highly dramatic, flamboyant creators. These are both creators who um, are not so great with narrative cohesion or consistency or restraint. Mm. <laughs> um, these are both uh, creators who have a stable of actors like to put in everything over and over again. Um, and, and these are both, you know, creators who are capable of, of great heights and moments of, of, of extreme emotional impact. Um, but of also having a lot of work that kind of just goes off the rails almost immediately. Cause it feels like no one cares about it being on the rails in the first place. Um, and you know, this is far and away Lee Daniels worst film. I mean, far and away, um, you know, like the Butler was kind of a mess too, but I mean, nowhere near this level of mess. Uh, and I mean, honestly, I feel as, as much as I feel like Andre Day gives her all, I, I didn't feel like, I felt like she was not being protected. I felt like she was kind mm. of, I felt like she was sacrificing herself for something not very good. It, it almost was like Elizabeth Berkeley and showgirls in a way. Um, because here under day is giving herself body and soul, frequently doing nude scenes, um, having to do scenes where she's being savagely beaten by men, um, rough sex scenes. Um, and for what, for this movie? Mm, that's a really that. good point. I wonder if maybe a more experienced actor would have, asked some questions along the way about the movie. I don't know how the, that dynamic works between actor and director, but right. I wonder if it further um, contributed to the, the mess that she wasn't experienced. That said, she was wonderful. Yeah. And, and there were parts of this movie. I mean, I did not realize that Billie Holiday dressed like the Rihanna of the 1940s. Like <laughs> the sunglass game in this movie is amazing. Mm. Um, mm. And her singing, of course. I mean, when she's right. spent her life, you know, singing um, in the style of and and l- learning and and singing the the greats and the masters, it's it's really beautiful. But is that yeah. thunder? 
It is thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yes, I'm sitting by a window. (laughs) Yeah, crazy. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be very, very, very reassuring and very, very comforting and relaxing to listen to. Oh, my God. Remember uh, the Tallulah Bankhead part? How about that? Um, <laughs> I was just read, I was reading just uh, today. I was reading a, a back and forth that two um, black female writers on Autostraddle wrote about this movie. And, um, you know, and they were definitely laying into it and basically being like, this is trauma porn, plain and simple. It is hollow. It is, you know, it is, it is, yeah, it is just, it is just, it is, there's no substance. It's just trauma porn. Um, but they were also very incensed about the fact that apparently in one of the trailers, they showed Billy and Tallulah Bankhead, played by Natasha Leone, kissing. And really? it, and in this final cut, that's nowhere to be seen. Uh, it's almost like the movie was edited in a crazy way. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, literally, where's that scene? They're like, no, really. Um, and I mean, like, who puts Natasha Leone in a movie for this thankless and throwaway of a part? Like, what even, huh? And this is, and Grant, this is, I mean, Lee Daniels is, this is another thing he and Ryan Murphy have in common. They're both like stunt casting queens like none other. Um, I mean, may we never forget Mariah Carey's performance in Precious. <laughs> <laughs> Or the butler. She was in the butler, too. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in the beginning. Um, I think he actually had her playing uh, an enslaved woman uh, at the beginning of the movie. So, um, but this is, this movie is, is, is just a fucking mess. And I felt like, as so I watched it with Scott, and in an after, in the whole time, I was just, like, thinking, like, holy shit, this is so bad. And then we didn't even say anything after it was over. And then we were just like sitting there in silence. And we like went to bed and then I like walked past in the bedroom and I was like, well, that was bad. And he looked at me and he was like, you thought it was bad. I'm like, let's get oh, divorced. No. Uh, no. <laughs> you just bought a house. <laughs> I know. I know. It ends like this. Um, he was like, no, that was really good. I actually really liked it. So I guess as a show. Yeah. You can never really know someone. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I feel like the greatest the the greatest disservice is like one of the most uh like the the big emotional punch of of this scene when when she like witnesses lynching and then you kind of mm-hmm. take in a little bit back through her history and it didn't need to be handled that way no no um that that scene seems to be dividing people um i for one thought that it it lost the power of the way it began as it continued and became more and yes. more like a trauma fever dream. Um, Sia and then directed. Also, yes. Yeah. Very Sia music. And then leading to her walking out on stage and singing the song. Don't sing the song. I'm going to sing the song. Um, and, first. <laughs> and Scott was like, he was like, I thought that scene was really, really moving. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, and then reading reviews, it's funny. There are some critics who are panning the movie and then they're like, except this one scene. I'm like, oh, but then the others that are just like panning the movie and being like as best exemplified by this scene <laughs> and use it to like hang their whole <laughs> negative review on. I um, feel like I think, if they had cut out the middle, if it had just kind of gone from the beginning to her going yeah. out on stage. But right. it was just it was too much. And, and apparently even that's the, you know, the, you know, she did not write strange fruit. Right. Uh, right. You know, I mean, she, she, she did have her hand in writing some of her songs. I believe she wrote God bless the child. 
uh, and Lady Sings the Blues. Um, but, uh, but you know, she did not write that song. It was written by a Jewish man. Um, and apparently that was his experience. Like, he was the one who witnessed um, what we see her witness in this movie. Um, which, of course, is not to say that Billie Holiday had never witnessed that in her life. I'm sure she did. Um, but I, I feel like this movie, it just you don't walk away feeling like you really understand her any better. Like it has no insight into her into like in, 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 in certainly no insight into her artistry, you know, like I, somebody said that like, if you just watch this movie with no background on who she is, you would think that she was a junkie who could carry a tune. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, so. they give more depth to like the, the cop who falls in love with her. Right. Right. And, and again, that turns out in real life, he did not do that. <laughs> who belongs in, who works in the, um, Law and Order special jazz unit. <laughs> you just sit around playing trumpet and smoking jazz cigarettes, <laughs> following jazz musicians around. <laughs> um, also, one thing that I saw today that I thought really articulated something very well that bothers me sometimes um, about the way that uh, law enforcement is portrayed in movies like this. Um, <clears throat> Uh, 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 and this is, you know, the, the, the law enforcement characters in this are, are one played by Garrett Hedlund are portrayed in sort of like the traditional sort of like broad caricature of evil way that we have come to expect. Oh, um, right. But as but as somebody was was pointing out, um, they were like, here's the thing about, you know, bad guys who think they're good guys don't act like bad guys who are happy to be bad. Right. Bad guys who are good guys act like good guys who are out of their minds. Mm. And, you know, and I was like, oh, like that, that, that says it. I, I've had that thought about so many t- movies that we watch like this that are about, you know, that come down to just like, oh, it's like some like one dimensional villain cop. And of course, not that the cop should be centered in the story, but another thing that, it works against sort of real life justice with the way these movies are told is that they very, they're, they're never about the systemic stuff. They are just about a handful of villainous mm-hmm. cops, mm-hmm. like, you know, or like one bad apple or a handful of bad apples. It's never about the way that the system itself is rigged against black people. And, you know, so, and you know, it, it just, it just ultimately doesn't, I think, move the needle on helping people who are watching the movie, truly put the pieces together on how and why the system uh, is, is set up to, to, you know, to prosecute and persecute black people. It's cartoonish. The movie it's they are, they're in every court, no matter if it's in San Francisco or New York or Philadelphia, the same cops are there, the same FBI agents and just like foiled again by Miss <laughs> holiday and her smack. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, um, this for me is actually a send it back. Same. All right. Let's hope. Uh, I think we we say this um, sometimes. Like, let's hope someone tries a, gives a crack at this story again. Yeah, and and there, you know, there is the Diana Ross movie, Lady Sings the Blues from the seventies. So mm, uh, yeah, right. So that worth worth uh, checking out for folks. Um, and then also Audrey McDonald. Uh, I believe won a Tony for uh, for playing her in a in a show called um, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Uh, so, I, but you know, yeah, there but there's still not really a definitive Billie Holiday movie because I think no one points to either the Diana Ross one or this. Certainly not this one. Is like, no, nope, they did it. <laughs> they said it all. 
So she might just continue to be elusive. It might be something that, you know, we, we experience really the holidays just by listening to her voice. I feel like just listening to her voice, you kind of, you experience her in a much more profound way than you mm. get from watching a movie like this. The United States versus Billie Holiday is streaming on Hulu and it's rated R. Movie number five, I Care A Lot. A shady legal guardian lands in hot water when she tries to bilk a woman who has ties to a powerful gangster. So I think I watched this right after um, Rosamund Pike won, what, Best Actress in a Comedy? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. With her uh, with her a speech that I personally enjoyed very much. <laughs> oh, that's the one where, but I, it's, I was... In a in a drowning car, but I didn't have to share a room with Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yes, and shout, <laughs> shout, shouting out Maria Bakalova in the same category, and then also at the end she was like, and she's like, oh God, who else should I thank? I I suppose America's broken legal system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which I think Walter actually listed as a low. I was like, who's writing this article? They're like one of the lows of Golden Globes. Like, well, thanks, Rosamund Pike, for making a joke about our legal system. It's like, oh, what? fuck off. I bet you didn't like the movie either, you asshole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I would say, okay. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I do think I have seen that there are some folks who have expressed um, that they couldn't quite enjoy the movie because it is about such a real and horrifying thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm aware that that exists out there, um, that there are folks for whom like this is the subject of sort of elder abuse and exploitation as it's laid out in this movie. Um, it, it just makes the whole thing a, a, a no go. Uh, I will tell that. you in this house. So this does go back to what I was going to say in this house, th- this movie did not, um, there were no favors done by the fact that she won in best comedy or musical because um, Soul's expectation was that it was going to be a real crack em up and boy was it not. <laughs> and I was a lot of, where's the comedy? Is this a comedy? How is this a oh, comedy? No. You guys tell Soul me if Wolf like Wall to... Street is a comedy? She, <laughs> she would like to have a word uh, with the genre category folks at the Hollywood Foreign Press. Get in line, and, I told her. And, yeah, exactly, exactly. And really Netflix, because I mean, they they submit these things in these categories. Um, I blaming Rosamund Pike particularly. And I said, remember your favorite movie. She's in your favorite movie, which is Pride and Prejudice. Oh, I was going to say, I'm like, is Gone Girl a favorite movie? That's <laughs> the red flag, Rebecca. <laughs> call somebody, yeah. <laughs> God, no, that's true. I was reading something today where they were just like talking about Rosamund Pike's career and they're like, she was a Bennett sister. I'm like, oh, that's right. She was a Bennett sister in Pride and Prejudice. Um, mm-hmm. There in this, this movie has also been the subject of many lesbian memes. Uh, I think oh. I, I, I feel like this is the movie after the sort of one, two punch disappointments of Ammonite and Happiest Season. <laughs> <laughs> I think this this was like finally like the enjoyable lesbian movie that no one knew was coming. <laughs> no idea. So yeah, I feel like yeah the the, the lesbian internet received it enthusiastically uh, as well as the 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 now infamous lesbian villain uh, Bob, the uh, Rosamund Pike's hair. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the razor sharp villain lesbian Bob cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's bulletproof. Well, I guess not really, but it is it is it, just, it is it is tough all the same. It is tough all the same. So I will just come out the gate and say that I fucking loved this so much. 
You know, I loved it as much as I could when you're sharing a couch with someone whose favorite <laughs> movie is Gone Girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, giggle, giggle, look over, panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of Amazing Amy, she's Stellar Soul, Stellar Soul. Um, <laughs> uh yeah it is it is yeah that's I, I watch it by myself and so i did not i did not have to to worry about being judged for enjoying it um but there's just something about there's just something that's so profoundly liberating about this movie i feel like it's been a long time since we had a movie that was just openly and unapologetically about bad people across mm-hmm. the board um, it just it was such a load off to not have to have any like, okay, like who am I supposed to get behind morally and politically and philosophically? Just be like, oh no, they're all bad. Like every character is bad. Um, and it's just a race to the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. It's basically just people who are bad, just out batting each other and doing so in Rosamund Pike's case, unflappably. <laughs> so, and, uh, and with such style oof. and confidence and humor and, um, uh, Peter Dinklage's um, homage to to Jack Dorsey <laughs> did not go unnoticed. <laughs> not to mention everyone's favorite Yuletide holiday queen, Christmasina. Uh, <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, when old Christmas and uh, and and Rosamund Pike have their showdown in her office, what oh. a scene! What is it? Yes, I, it's exactly what it is. The fact that it, it, there is no ambiguity. Everybody is terrible, and they're they're f- fancy and funny as fuck doing it. And mm. it is sad, and it is terrible. But it was there that that lack of um, having to think about it was really nice. It felt like yeah. a heist, like a caper. Yeah, it was just a caper where, like you know, and and you know, even though okay, did you? I will admit. That by the end, I was probably not even by the end, by pretty early on, I was rooting for her, um, you know, even though I knew that what she was doing was horrible. But, you know, but she's she was a protagonist. And, you know, that's kind of one of the thrills of movies is when they, you know, they kind of get you to root for somebody you shouldn't be rooting for um, just because they put them in the sort of the protagonist role. Um, so did you did you find yourself rooting for her at all or were you just kind of like, oh, she's she's, you know, deplorable and, and awful, but I'm just enjoying myself? I cannot believe you rooted for her. <laughs> You're a fucking monster? Are you kidding me? No, I mean, I was rooting wow. for her in the sense, like, when, when the showdown began, you know, wow. between her between her and Peter Dinklage, um, I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm on her side. <laughs> wow. Um, we also have Diane Wiest. Uh mm-hmm. Doing uh, a lot <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with her role. Uh, one scene in particular, uh, she plays. I mean, she should get a nomination just for that scene alone. Uh, whenever she's like, "Ooh, you fucked up!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. When she's when she's uh, uh, un, like medicated, all drugged mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah. She it's just, oh so good. Um, yeah. It kind of felt like a like. Um, I want to say burn after reading, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I can see that because there was really no one particularly redeemable in that movie either. Right, uh, it had like a Tarantino-y Coen Brothers movie feel to it. Yeah, because Coen Brothers movies can be pretty nihilistic. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like they are not movies that generally the, the Coens are not big on sort of like big moralistic endings. Um, you know, frequently the movies are much more, yeah, just sort of like about like the futility of human effort. Um, and Burn After Reading is a great example of that. And again, that movie also did turn some people off because they thought it was mm. too far into that sort of just nihilistic, charred comedy. And it also had a bob. It did have a bob on on, on old Franny. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, and, and, and had <laughs> Brad Pitt getting killed in a very sudden and jarring way. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, 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 the first part of this movie can be hard to get over. I think they really uh, set up a nightmare scenario that is happening um, all the time, and it is absolutely terrifying. And I think it is quite a leap to end up with this, like, fantastical terror romp at the end um, to have any fun with, because it is so scary what happens to Diane Weiss' character Mm -hmm. um, in this movie, where she's just... uh, What's ambushed by um, her doctor and the government into being put into uh, a home. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that, that entire montage is bone chilling, bone chilling. Um, and in that way, the movie, it actually does kind of, it, it does a service in the sense that it, it helps people understand that this is a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like this is an actual thing that can happen. And but, you know, but the movie is is ultimately not interested in becoming an activist movie or an issue movie at all. Um, You know, it is just really just an unapologetically mean, vicious, nasty little dark comedy um, about the way, you know, this sort of, you know, it's your classic sort of like late capitalist tableau um, of just these just unapologetic villains that take and take and take no matter what. Um, you know, she has, there's some of the, the, the voiceover that Rosman has is maybe a bit on the nose. Um, you know, but she has that one line about something along the lines of like, you know, that there's really no rules and no such thing as decency or the right thing to do. And that's, uh, you know, a, a fallacy that the wealthy use to keep the poor in place or something. Mm. Um, and, you know, and even though that was like a very kind of like, kind of semi-trite, semi-hard-boiled way of putting it, it it struck me when I heard her say that. I'm just like, God, it kind of is that way, isn't it? Mm. Uh, certainly, certainly, we're, I mean, it was the real test of that. We'll to see if there are any actual consequences for the outgoing president. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, that'll be the real test uh, to see if you can be the most, you know, contemptible, openly law-breaking person in the world and still get away with it just because you are very rich and powerful. Um, but back to happy matters. I care a lot. I love it. It's so good. I had such a good time watching it. There need to be more, more movies like this. Um, yeah, I love it. Binge it. It's a full binge it. Mm. Ooh, is it a binge it? Ooh, I did enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like looking around. Like, is she listening? <laughs> the movie recorded alternative ending. Uh, send it back. <laughs> Needed more jokes. <laughs> Less meanness. <laughs> Not a comedy. <laughs> uh, it, it is quite. I feel like putting it in the comedy category does assume you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which we are. So but yeah. So, so guilty. We, Binge it. Yeah. Uh, it's streaming. <laughs> streaming on Netflix and rated R. 
Our last movie, Jason. Also, our couple's Halloween costume this year is. <laughs> no? Supernova. Oh my God. I'm assuming you're Tucci. Of course. <laughs> a gay couple, one a musician, the other a novelist, embark on a road trip as dementia starts to take hold of one of them. What is this, Jason? This is like, this is what happens when a bunch of the best actors in the world go to a party in LA in this beautiful living room. I'm picturing one from like, um, what is that movie? The Invitation. Mm-hmm. And they had this big fishbowl filled with prompts and it's like, pick up prompt. And it's like, okay, you have dementia. And the other one's like, you are a gay writer. And then they act it out. And you're like, I can't believe I get to see this. The best actors in the world playing out these like moments that are the most um, harrowing and sad in the human experience. And then, and then it's an hour and a half and it's the movie Supernova. <laughs> I'm pretty sure what you just described is how every movie studio works. That's how they make their movies. <laughs> That's it. Just get get in a room, fishbowl, pick out ideas, be like, well, green light. And then off they go and they make the movie. Uh, I got heroin and... <laughs> <laughs> and, and Natasha Leone. <laughs> so, well, this can, go, this can go lots of directions. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, did you see that um, Amy Murphy from Schitt's Creek is going to be in the next season of Russian Doll? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, anywho, Supernova. Colossal bummer. <laughs> uh, weird that it won Best Comedy. <laughs> you know, they see Tucci, they just assume it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, well, it's Tucci. He's probably playing another, you know, just kind of like funny gay guy, right? And you're like, well, no, well, okay, well, well, yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Big night indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I put watching. I put off watching this one for a good long while, um, just because I started to get the sense that it was going to be a tearjerker. And as we know, uh, there there are no tears to be jerked from my ducks. And so watching movies like this can be very frustrating um, because, it, you know, if they start to feel like they are crafted to just to just be a delivery system for big cathartic sobs, um, then I will feel kind of very left high and dry by that because I can't produce those. And so I'm just sitting there like, well, here's where I'd be crying, I guess. And that is the experience I indeed had in this movie. Um, I did not feel like there was much more to it than that. Um, there were, you know, two gorgeous performances and a lot of stunning cinematography. But ultimately, I'm like, why would anyone make someone watch this movie? I, 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 I cannot imagine, cannot imagine the circumstances under which I would ever tell someone to watch this movie. Really? Because because it's just it's just unrelentingly bleak. Uh, And to make matters worse, you know, not to go too spoilery, um, but, you know, we'll just say that, you know, one of the characters, as you mentioned, has dementia. Um, And uh, we find out around midway through that they have made a a, a choice about what to do about that. And I'll just say it. They seem fine. They seem fine. It is too soon to do the thing they've decided to do. I get patience, advocacy, and, you know, compassionate care and all that, 
but he was fine. <laughs> it was just the very beginnings of symptoms. Give me a fucking break. You're going to do that to everyone in your life. You're going to do that to your husband. It just, so I was not only not crying, I was angry uh, <laughs> watching uh, the second half of this movie. Wow. Hmm. My thoughts is that I have already recognized this movie once and I watched it yesterday. <laughs> Whoops. I run with a different crowd. Um, uh, do not, if you are being cast for a, a role and the role is um, gay male husband to Colin Firth, don't take it. Um <laughs> I think um, I think this. I'm really surprised that was your takeaway from the, from the movie. I I feel like we can't really talk have this discussion without spoiling it. But well, we're at the end of the episode, so we could just say people. Yeah, can if anyone hasn't tuned by now, we might as well just get to it. Um, <laughs> the point of the movie is that when you say he like, do you do that to your husband and? Um, it's a it's about the choice though, and the choice is that he wanted to live his life to a point where he could not lose control. And I think um you could see kind of how his his mind wasn't quite working the way that it used to, so that he couldn't write thoughts anymore and um you know was having trouble putting on a shirt, which I feel like is sure it's it wasn't constant, but I think that the point was that he wanted to to be the one. Um, to make the choice before maybe he couldn't make that choice anymore. And I think that you don't know what kind of time you have in front of you and that it isn't doing it to someone and that um, Colin Fritz character, you know, kind of has this this huge speech because he has this feeling of, of his own about this choice that he's made to be there and support and be this loving partner. But but that also is a is a tool of selfishness. And at the end of the day, there's one person who um, is sick and there's one person who's not. And I, th- I think where they kind of landed was in the way that you could support the sick person the most by by being there for them in the way that they really need, not the mm-hmm. way that you need or you've decided you want to add value to the situation. I feel like they had set, set some some context around how long it had been since they had been diagnosed and kind of how how fast things were moving. And I, I, you know, there's no formula for what the right time is, but I feel like, I feel like he had made it clear that this was all set up in order to not allow it to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I get that. I guess I was just imagining, like, if I were Colin Firth and that was, you know, and Scott was, was Tucci, and if he was just like, you know, high functioning enough that he is just like going out to dinner parties and, you know, and having conversations with everyone and just being very much himself and acting the way that he has always acted and just like has his full personality, his full everything. And then to just be like, Oh, and I'm also, I'm going to die like tomorrow. Um, so, uh, you know, because, you know, because, you know, six months from now it's going to get bad, you know, but, but that's the thing. His whole character was, 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 going on this road trip and and through this party and was doing all of this to give um, Colin Fritz's character a, a really wonderful time um, during these, these last days and not let it get to a point where he couldn't make a choice anymore. Although he was also planning on originally killing himself without saying anything. 
That is true. If you're, uh, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, I, I don't mean to suggest that this is an easy or not an ambiguous issue. Um, I'm just saying for me personally, watching this movie, I, it did not bring me around to seeing that his character, uh, needed that. And I get that it's not for, it's not my decision to make, but you know, if I were in that marriage, then I would, I would feel very angry. I don't know that I would have been able to just kind of be like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's, you know, let's do this. Um, so all of which is to say it's a joyless movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it is a colossally sad, um, and, I just don't, I, I don't, I, I do not know why I would ever tell anyone to watch this movie. Um, I don't know unless, unless, because, you know, I never understand people who want to watch things to make themselves cry. I mean, I can, I can mentally understand it, but so I guess if you're that person and you're still listening <laughs> and you want a good cry, I feel like this movie will almost certainly give that to you. Um, did you feel emotional watching this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, um, animals and I feel like dementia are the things that will always push my buttons early on. Um, yeah. But I think you should watch this if you agree with Jason right now. Mm-hmm. That's my recommendation. I'd like okay. to, I'd like to. <laughs> um, but it's it's beautifully acted and it's it's um, it's a beautiful movie and it's it's short. It, there isn't too much extra. You get to see just this kind of really um sad but important moment of life in uh, a slice of a of a relationship that seemed beautiful i say Indeed. it's a consume it's like consume with caution <laughs> consume with caution and you know it's 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 tough for me to read it because i can't say that it's it, that anything about it makes it a bad movie um, so, I mean, it, I guess it's a consume for me as well in actual practice in terms of recommendations, as you've heard me say now several times, I would never, ever recommend this movie. <laughs> um, so I don't recommend it, um, unless you are specifically looking for that, you know, you know who you are. If you're looking for a very, very sad movie that will make you cry. Um, this is that movie and it's, uh, very well made. And will perhaps uh, spark uh, a lively conversation with you and anyone you watch it with over uh, over whether or not uh, you stand by uh, the decisions that are made. I feel like that's reason enough to see it. Um, it is yeah. available to rent on Apple and Amazon and is rated R. That's it. That's it. Um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And um, subscribe. I guess if you do that with the podcast and things. Mm-hmm. Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. At Fight Balance. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.